1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, okay, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. He's saying, Apollos and I are doing the same job. And each one will receive our own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another comes and builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation, great verse to underline, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss. Listen, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollo, Cephas or, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Father, in the short time that we have here this morning, Lord, we thank you for the time that we've spent in worship. We thank you for the time that we've spent in communion. We thank you for the time that we have spent in testimony. And now in the reading of your word, Lord, I pray that you give us insight. Everyone in this room has a need in their life that only you can fill. Everyone needs a word from you that can only come from you. And so, Lord, I pray that in the short time that we have that you would speak to us every single one of us in however you desire to speak to us. Lord, we are yours and we trust you with our lives 
with what we're about to hear right now. Help us, Lord, to know you better when we walk out of this place than we do right now. Let that be the common goal of each one of our lives from this day forward, to know you better at the end of the day, to know Christ and him crucified. And not be satisfied unless we can answer an affirmative each day when we close our, our eyes. Yes, I know the Lord more. I've, grew, I've grown in him. I've seen God's hand move in my life today. And that we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, for your interest in us, not just as a whole, but your interest in us individually. That you can keep us all, keep track of all of us. That you can have such an intimate relationship with each and every single one of us, knowing the deep intents of our thoughts and our minds, and yet still loving us, and yet knowing corporately who we are, knowing us nationally, knowing us earthly in this world. Lord, you are magnificent when we consider that. That your mind is so great and your love is even greater still. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your, your word. Take us on a journey here right now, Lord, to, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we look at this passage here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, uh, one of the things as I was reading through this chapter, I asked myself, what could we liken the city of Corinth to? What could we liken the city of Corinth to? And, and, uh, and then I, as you look at Corinth, and, and I did a little research again on Corinth, and you look at it, and you, Corinth was a thriving city in ancient Greece until the Romans overtook it and, and completely destroyed Corinth in 145 or 146 B.C., and, and, and there it laid, destroyed and dormant for about a hundred years until Julius Caesar was in power as the emperor in Rome. And then he saw the, the advantage of this location. Uh, the location of Corinth is, is uh, just right outside of Greece. And it's, it's, a, it's a town that... Uh, if you have a Bible map in your or a map in your Bible, what you would see is you have Greece here, and then you have this this it, it attaches to the mainland, but there's this like this little little uh, uh, hairline piece of land, a little hairline piece of land that kind of connects the mainland to Greece, and and here you have a bay on one side and then you have a bay a bay in the Aegean Sea on one side you have a bay in the Adriatic Sea on the other side and that little hairline picture that hairline piece of property a piece of land it's it's 4 miles that's it that separates basically the Adriatic Sea from the Aegean Sea and if you were going from anywhere over in uh, Asia Minor or if you were going from Israel anywhere from the Mediterranean Sea and going to Rome you'd actually would have to go around Greece to get to Rome and as you go around Greece to go to Rome the moment that you hit the southern end of Greece and you get out into the to the uh, uh, south uh, uh, west part of, of the water 
it was very temperamental. It was very unpredictable, the water there in the Aegean Sea. And what would happen is that the, the, the waters would be, and the wind could become very contrary to you very quickly. And so in that bay, many people would find refuge in that bay in the, in the Aegean Sea. And as they were going from Italy, you know, uh, over into and trying to get back over to the Asia Minor area, what they would do is oftentimes they would go and they'd camp out in the bay there in the Adriatic Sea to just outside of Corinth. Both of these bays are right there, right at Corinth. And so people coming from Asia Minor, people going from Rome, they could all go and find safe harbor there. And so Julius Caesar, he sees what a great location for, uh, uh, you know, one of my provinces. And so what he does is he actually goes back in and rebuilds it in A.D. 46. And so, you know, a little over, you know, uh, uh, you know 100 years you've got, uh, actually it's 140 years, uh, 100. 180 years, actually, you've got, here you've got uh, Julius Caesar going in there and rebuilding, and rebuilding the city. Now, as, as it's being built back up, here's what happens. Um, uh, he is uh, building this city back up, and, and he's knowing that this is going to, to have a, a major uh, impact, you know, from roam into the Asia Minor area. And so one of the things that he wanted to do is he wanted to kind of uh, go in and he attempted, but he couldn't handle it. He couldn't do it. And many people have tried to do it, but tried to dig a canal from the two bays, from one thing to and from one bay to the other. Julius Caesar tried it, he couldn't do it. There is a bay today, or not a bay, but there is a canal that goes through it. And it was actually completed in 18, from 1881 to 1893. They completed this four mile stretch where they just, just cut out a 70-foot-wide swath straight from one bay to the other so now ships can go through. Now, the problem is, is that our ships are much bigger than 70 feet across, so it really is just a tourist attraction today. But back in that day, that was the hope that Corinth was going to be. And so Corinth was this bustling you know, place to be where people from Asia Minor, people from Rome, they'd all stop there and, and rest there in those bays. And so it was a very, very important place for Rome to develop. And so even though it kept uh, up with its Grecian roots, Rome brought into it the things that it had grown accustomed to, the debaucherous lifestyle that Rome had, had entered into. They brought it over into Corinth. Well, Corinth didn't just perfect it. They exceeded beyond what Rome had ever become. Corinth had gotten in there. It was filled with shrines and temples to false gods. The most prominent temple, we've talked about this before, was that of Aphrodite, which employed a thousand um, hieroduli, which are, uh, which are consecrated prostitutes to sacrifice sexually to things and to people and, and offering their, their services unto Aphrodite. She was a false goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. Love, beauty, pleasure, and sex. That's what she was, uh, that's what that was about. And they loved that there in Corinth. It's all about love and beauty and pleasure and sex. Corinth was a cosmopolitan uh, uh, center that thrived on commerce, on entertainment, on vice, 
on corruption. Pleasure seekers came there to spend money on a holiday from morality. Corinth became so notorious for its evils that the term um, Corinthomazai, literally which it means to act like a Corinthian, it became synonymous with debauchery and prostitution. And so I posed the question again to myself and I asked, to what can we liken the city of Corinth? And I think, my goodness, I've just described my own land. We live in this place. But what's cool is that Paul started a church there. And the church actually thrived. The issue is, is that the church was there. It began, Paul, man, I'm going to run out of time. Paul began this church and the church began to thrive. It began to grow and people started coming into the church. And here's what ended up happening. It began to grow. It began to have influence within the city. The problem is, is because they were a part of that society, because they were a part of that culture there, some of that began to creep into the church. And there is the danger for us. Here in these United States of America, he had to go to work. Everybody's turning around to look at Scott. He said, hey, don't, it's not what you said. I've got to go to work. Bye, Scott. Here's a, what did he say that was so offensive? Nothing. Not yet, at least. Um, here's the thing. I'm just joking. Corinth was such a, a debaucherous place. We live in a debaucherous place. We're here in a church right now where we're worshiping the Lord. We're taking communion. We're hearing testimonies of how God's touching our lives. And yet, even today, I, I heard Kevin say it, and this by no means is a cap on what he's saying because I love to watch them also because of the, of the, ingenu, the, the ingenuity of some of these ad creators. But Super Bowl Sunday is always a great time to watch the commercials. Some of them. The others, you just sit there and go, I can't believe, that's, 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 that's borderline pornography. That's just accepted. I was reading an article this, this last week of, of this kind of a manner and you had the comments of people. I, I, I don't know. I'm a sucker for reading the comments of people. I guess I just like to raise my blood pressure a little bit. If you read any comments of people on a very controversial subject, what ends up happening is that you can get very angry like I do. And, and you sit there and you kind of steam in your heart and you go, Lord, we are such a lost society. But people are sitting there and they're talking about, you know, nudity and, 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 and just how it's, how it's creeping into and onto the television shows. And I'm going, how does America look at this today? What is it that we as a populace, I already knew what it, what it was, but what's interesting is when you start reading the comments, hey, you know, somebody will say, it's debaucherous, it's wrong, we shouldn't be going down this road. How far will America fall before we cease to exist? And that's all you have to put on somebody on one of those, one of those little comment boards, and you're going to get countless of people saying, hey, 
The senior citizen's retirement home called and they want you back. They found out that you're on the internet. Get off. It's old-fashioned your way of thinking. We are the new. This is the new way of thinking. They're just going, my goodness, we live in Corinth. And yet we live as Christians. You see, there's a difference and there, is a, there, there has to be something in us that recognizes I live in debauchery. I live in a place that all we have to do is go and try to watch an innocent football game today and we're going to get bombarded with some things that are not going to be the greatest things in the world. It used to be that, you know, some of the halftime shows are, what are you wearing? You know, I think back, you know, how many ever years ago it was that Janet Jackson and and Justin Timberlake were on the the halftime show and he accidentally pulled her top down to show a live breast on TV. It was all planned. It's to try to test the limits to bring us to a place where, where we become dull and insensitized, desensitized to these things. And you know what? For the most part, it's, it's happened to a lot, hasn't it? A lot of us. Here's the reason. Because the more we see it, the more, the more we become callous to it. We become callous to it. And we just sit there and we shake our heads and go, man, Lord, please, have mercy on us. Billy Graham, you know, 20 years ago was quoted as saying, if God does not come back and soon, if he does not judge the United States of America soon, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And you know, I, I, I know that he was saying that tongue-in-cheek and I know that he was just grieving over the state of our nation. But gang, as we get into 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to look at the carnality that crept into the church. They were saved. Paul, he's saying, hey, you guys are saved. But you're allowing things to come into the church and some of your works are not the right works, man. Some of your works are, are made out of straw and wood and hay and stubble and, and, and that stuff that you actually are, are trying to take confidence in. Those things are going to be burned up. God is going to test those, those works as by fire and, and that stuff is going to burn away. And you're going to suffer all of this loss. Yet, what he says... If anyone's work is burned, he says in verse 15, he's going to suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The point that Paul's making is that it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that you're, 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 you're living and you're, you've allowed the world, you've allowed the world to filter onto you. You've allowed it to seep into you. You've allowed it to come and desensitize you to where you have become like the world while you're a Christian and I'm afraid to say and I'm, I'm grieved to say that the church and the world as a whole are oftentimes indistinguishable from one another. One just doesn't have cuss words in it 
And that's not even the case anymore. Because pastors are cussing from the pulpit. It's an entertainment value. It's, a, it's, it's something that we're going to attract people into the church because the end justifies the means. And I don't want to harp on that much because I've done that well in the past. But the point is, listen, the church has got to be different. We've got to be different. That's what repentance means, right? Repentance means is when I repent, I turn 180 degrees away from where I was going and I turn a different direction and start going the opposite direction. I once was walking according to the world, but now no longer I'm walking towards Christ, yet living in the world. So how do I reconcile the two? What's going to take some strength on our part? And the only way we can have strength is as if we are relying and trusting and leaning heavily on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and direct us. Otherwise, you and I are just like a wandering sheep out there amongst a bunch of wolves that are hungry to eat. And so here's the thing, guys. Be careful. We're in a world, but not of it. Think of yourself as a submarine. Think of yourself as a ship. The submarine is in the water, but it is not of the water. The ship is in the water, but not of the water. The moment that the ship becomes of the water, we call that a reef. The moment that we allow the water to sift into us and become us, we become, we become indistinguishable from the sea that we're in. I think people need to see light. It doesn't make sense to be in a dark place, in a dark hole. And dim your light down to no light whatsoever so that you can be a part of the darkness with the rest of the dark. I do it just about every Christmas Eve here, don't I? Where I, every one of us have a candle. I shut off all the lights in here. And it doesn't work real well because we usually have the Christmas lights on in here. But before we did that, it would get very dark in here. And I would talk about the illustration of in a dark place where there is no light, where does all of the attention go? Who do the people follow? The person with the flashlight. Jesus says, a light that is lit doesn't get hidden under a table. If you hide a light under a table, nobody can see and, and gain any advantage from it. No, a light that's lit, it's it stuck up on top of a hill that it would light and illuminate those that were around so that they can see where they're going. And, and so here's the thing. Guys, we're living in darkness. We're living in Corinth. And in many cases, worse than Corinth. We're living in that. We have got to fight the urge to become Corinth We've got to be a light. As hard as it is, we've got to be a light. Because a light is going to draw people 
to Christ. That's what that's not my equation. That's not my economics. That's that's heavenly economics. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, didn't he? He says, "Listen, let your light so shine before men that they see what you're doing and they don't go after you." He says that they would see what you're doing and they would glorify your Father in heaven. We are to be lights in this world. We are not to be inundated and and allow the the, the world to become us. And I know a lot of people will use, well, Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might save some. And they use that as an excuse for going to the bars or or getting high or or going and, and getting into things that they shouldn't be getting into and watching the things that they ought not be watching and going into the establishments that they ought not be going into. And here's the thing. I became all things to all men that I might save some. Well, I'm not saying that God hasn't called some to go into those places. But if you struggle with those things, you need to flee and you need to get out. I was just talking just at men's breakfast yesterday. Some of you guys were at the men's breakfast and we were talking about that, weren't we? I won't talk about what was going on in, in our place, but you know, I, I remember back at, at, at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, there was a couple gals over there. That one worked at Hooters. Drop dead gorgeous, beautiful blonde. She got saved. And she was so radical for Christ. And her friends, many people that she started to hang around with, what have you, were kind of going, hey, uh, when are you going to quit Hooters? And her word was, you know, when the Lord tells me to. And what ended up happening is that she'd start coming to church and on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, Saturday night, whatever service it was, She'd be coming and there'd be like two or three other Hooter girls with her. And all of a sudden, these other Hooter girls started getting saved. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, Hooters became like Calvary Chapel Hooters. Or, you know, I don't know, you know. <laughs> it, 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 you know, Calvary Chapel West. You know, I don't know, whatever, you know. But, but here's the thing. They started, all these girls started getting saved. And then there came a time where God called her to stop. And she did. And I, I shared this story of, I can't remember Pam's last name. Pam, I can't remember, huh? Pam Gaff, Pam Gaff. I don't hesitate to say her name because she's one of the heroes in the faith to me. You know what she was? She was a bartender. She was a bartender. A dear, sweet woman. And I said, man, Pam, how you do it? You're in a bar every day. She goes, you know what? There's a lot of people that come in and and drink their sorrows away. And here's the thing, I get an opportunity to pray for them. They, they get to know me, and I get to know them, and I get to know their life, and I get to pray for them, and I get to talk to them and encourage them. I share the Lord with them. I've been there for so many years, my boss will never fire me, so I get to share Christ with them. And so I just share. You have no idea how much loneliness and how much heartbreak and how much you know, grasping at the wind these guys are, are doing. Well, when will you ever quit? Well, when the Lord tells me. I was sharing with the guys yesterday, and, and maybe you all don't know the story, but that picture right back there in the back, right back there, it's a picture to, to remind me. Be careful. 
of telling people to, to remove themselves from places where God has called them to be. Because here's the thing, the man who wrote that, or who, who did that piece of, of art right back there on the wall, he's a world-renowned artist. His name is Jean-Claude Pla- Jean Goji. And he was one of those guys that was in the bar every single day that Pam prayed for. And she ministered to him, and she prayed for him, and she ministered to him, and she prayed for him. And she would invite him to church, and he would never go. And then one day he thought, all right, all right, Pam, I'm going to go. He was French, you know. I won't even try the French accent because I'll just sound like a Spanish guy. (laughs) And, And she went, she went, or he went, went with her. And it just so happened to be, and some of you guys have seen Mike and Pam Rizal, the Potter's Field Ministries. It just so happened that Mike and Pam were there that night. And so he came. Mike is an artist. Pam is a singing artist. And they had this demonstration with a pot. You know, Mike is a former uh, stock broker kind of a guy. And I don't know if he was on Wall Street or something like that. I think he was. But, you know, he just was fed up with that kind of a life and went to Bob Goy and says, Bob, I'm tired of doing this. I don't know what I want to do in my life, but I know it's not that. And Bob says, well, Mike, if you could do anything in life, what would you do? Here's this guy making six figures at least a year. And, and if you could do anything in life, what would you do? And Mike says, Bob, I'd throw pots. You'd throw what? I'd throw pots. Like against the wall or what? I don't understand. No, I, I, I would build pots. I'm a potter. Six figures. Pottery is usually pretty cheap. <laughs> You can, get, you can get pots pretty cheap. I don't know that that's, well, hey, be a potter. Be, the, be a potter for the Lord. And that's what started his ministry, the Potter's Field Ministries. And he began to throw pots. He began to share his testimony as he was building a, a, a clay pot. And his wife would sing songs. She was a, she's a, you know, a singer, you know. And, and she would sing and he would throw a pot. He'd do this and he'd crump it down. He'd had a great testimony as he was sharing and she would share and they would tell their stories. And here's the thing, people would, they'd offer the opportunity for people to get saved by looking at a pot in a master's hands, in the master potter's hands clay in the potter's hands and and he gives this very 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 moving ministry and message and and the very first time that he was going out he went out for a few weeks and and came back and he says don it was crazy we were going to these churches and pastors were being saved going mike what what do you mean pastors were being saved? He goes, no, dude, dude, literally, really, really, pastors were coming up and giving their heart to Christ. Pastors have been in churches for years. They were coming and giving their heart to Christ. And, and so there were pastors that were getting saved. There's a great ministry that those guys have, but here's the thing. He was there that night, and Jean-Claude, he saw this. And Jean-Claude gave his heart to the Lord, and, and that's one of the things that he was in part of our new believers ministry, and and I got to disciple him a bit. And, and he goes, I want to I do, do some artwork for you guys. And so he did a couple of pieces of artwork for us, just, just real quick. I mean, it took him like probably 15 minutes to do that. But to me, that means a lot. And he, he, he references the Lord. And I know that as you look at that, it's a bunch of scribbles. But if you kind of look over there right now, what you see there is on the bottom of... Uh, Nathan, grab that, grab that real quick. Just kind of bring it out here and show. 
what you have right there is on the very bottom, you might just go, man, that's a bunch of scribbles. On the bottom, you have the open Bible. On the top, you have the Holy Spirit coming down upon this woman. And the, 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 the sharp points that are up pointing towards the, the, uh, the dove is this woman on her face before the Lord with her hands up in the air just saying, Lord, fill me. And that's her face. That's, uh, bring it over here. That's her eye. You see her eye and her mouth and her nose? Here's her, I know it's hard to see, but here's her, here's her, her head, her forehead. Here's her eye. Here's her nose. Here's her mouth. Here's her chin. She's looking down at the word and her arms are up just going, Lord, I receive what you have for me. Oh, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Psalm 7. Jean-Claude, you know, 1994 with the Holy Spirit coming down. I'll fill you. You open up your heart. You, you get your face in the word. You get on your face before the Lord. You open your heart to me. I'll fill you. I love it. You know why? Because God had called her to stay there. So why all this? Listen, there are those that say, become all things to all men that I might win some. Some can't handle being in a bar like that. Pam Graff could. Pam Gaff could. Was it Graff or Gaff? One of those. Chaz. She could. What a great name. Chastity. Her name was Chastity. You go, Hooter girl by the name of Chastity. How original. And then God grabbed a hold of her life and she is just bananas for Christ even to this day. Here's the thing. If you can't handle it, you've got to get out. The point is, don't let the world seep into you. You take the light into the dark places. You see, those are the places that Christ would reach in. But these women were prepared. They were prepared. They knew, that they knew their position with Christ. They knew that God had called them to a specific purpose and a specific place. And because of that, God used them mightily. These are two of my heroes in the faith. To this day, I look back at these two girls and I go, heroes, heroes. Don't let the world seep into you. That's what, that's what we're going to be looking at next week. Don't let the world seep into you. Let's be the lights. Let's go out there into the dark places because if we are truly the lights that God's called us to be, the world wants to see what it is that we have. But don't try to trick them into the kingdom. Don't try to trick them. Jesus never tried to trick anybody into, into heaven. I'm going to become just like the world so that they'll want to be a part of me. Don't be like the world. You be a Christian. God has called us to be separate from the world. Amen? Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. And, and, and Lord, here we have before us uh, uh, an opportunity Another opportunity, whether it be today at a Super Bowl party or, or just this week that is in front of us, God, you're giving us an opportunity to go out into this world and be lights. We live in Corinth. We live in a place that's even worse than Corinth right now in many, many ways. And yet, Lord, you built a church there in Corinth. And yes, Lord, you used the letters of Paul to correct some of the wrongs of how the world began to sift into the church. 
Lord, show us your light that we might be like a moon. (laughs) The moon doesn't generate any light whatsoever. It just reflects the, the light of the sun upon the world. May we, Lord, reflect your light upon this very, very dark world. May they see you through us. When I look at the moon, when we look at the moon, we don't go, oh, look at how the moon has made itself so bright. We look at the moon and we say, my, the moon is in full position. It's fully in front of, of the sun. And the world is not blocking any portion of the light. May, Lord, we walk our life as a full moon. Not partial, not crescent. Lord, may we fully reflect the light in this very, very dark world. And as the world goes out and looks at a full moon on a, on a very clear night, they look at the moon and they just wonder. They go, oh, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Well, us walking with you, Lord, is a beautiful, beautiful sight to the world. May we, Lord, reflect you. And may they be drawn to you because of the work that you're doing in us. God, keep us pure. Keep us holy. In those areas in our life where we aren't those things, Lord, we give them to you. And God, help us to rid our bodies, our souls, our minds, our our, our beings of, of, of those things that are improper before you. We repent of them right now. And every one of us in this room have some of that in our life. God, right now, that might be hard for us to get rid of. It might be hard for us to release the grip on. But as this woman in this painting right now, as her face is before the word and her hands are open up, they're, they're opened up, not holding on to anything that she has in her own life. Lord, everything I am, everything that I have, everything that I ever will be, it's yours. I'm holding on to nothing. Now, Lord, come and fill me. Let me be a light for you that they may see what you've done in my life, what you're doing in my life, and what you will continue to do in my life, and then glorify you and want what I have. Not because I'm a wacko, not because I'm weird, but because I have a true and real and honest relationship with God, you, through your Son, Jesus Christ. May that be the light that we carry from this dark, into this dark world, from this place right now. Lord, may you have energized us as we walk out of this place. May we, like Moses, walked out with the glow, that Shekinah glory. And as he walked around the people, the people said, your face, it's bright, it's illuminated. May we walk out of this place where people know that we've been and spent time with you. Make our life count, Lord, for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Get out there, man, and let's be Christians in this dark world. Amen.